chapter 1, verse 9. I obviously was not here last Wednesday. I was helping John, Mark, and Gina pack up and move back home. And so it's great to have them with us tonight. And I uh, appreciate Brother Donald. Amen. If you uh, have not had a chance to hear the last two sermons he has shared with us on Wednesday evenings um, on the subject of fellowship, and I love how the Lord speaks through him to us concerning uh, those things. You need to access those on the website. Amen. They're there, available. Praise God. All right, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, For God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Just a quick review of a few things. Fellowship with God is your number one purpose. All other purposes are not only secondary, they are dependent upon your fellowship with God. You were created by God in the image and likeness of God so you could have fellowship with God. God is an eternal community dwelling in absolute communion, which means a common union or sharing and exchange. So you were created by God for fellowship with God. This means the eternal community that is God created you to have an equal share in their common union. One of the things I was uh, studying a few weeks ago and making some notes on just something the Lord was impressing me about is involves all the different times Jesus began a statement with most assuredly. Most assuredly. And in the King James Version, it'll often read verily, verily. The New King James Version, it'll read most assuredly. And anytime Jesus said most assuredly, he was about to say something that was going to seem so extreme that if if we weren't prepared to receive it and latch onto it and hold onto it by faith, it would sail clean over our heads. Most assuredly, I say unto you, the works that I do, you will do also, and even greater works is a classic example. A lot of most assuredly statements from Jesus uh, in the four Gospels. This, to me, falls into that same category. Uh, there's no most assuredly here, but there might as well be a most assuredly when he says you've been called into the same fellowship with God as Jesus, his son. Now, fellowship originates in the Godhead. Fellowship is as much God as holiness is God, as love is God. Fellowship is more than something God does. It's who God is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are a fellowship. If you remove fellowship from the Trinity, they would no longer be God. So last time I was with you, we linked these three things together. God is holy, God is love, and God is fellowship. And like love and holiness, fellowship is the essence of God. It's God's intrinsic nature. It's an indispensable quality, meaning if you were to take fellowship out of the Trinity, they would not be God any longer. There's a verse in Deuteronomy, Jesus quoted it in the Gospels, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So we see one God in three persons created one man in three dimensions. You are one being, but you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Now, as we have 
continued to make progress in our study on this subject of fellowship with God, we began week before last talking about this concept of oneness, oneness. And by oneness, we don't, we don't mean, you know, God is only one entity or one being. By oneness, we are referring to this common union of oneness that Father desires to have with His children. And as oneness relates to fellowship, we said we need to understand it from two different perspectives. The perspective of positional oneness and the perspective of functional oneness. So positional oneness is what every born-again believer has with God. If you've been born again, you have been made one with God. You have been joined together. You've been united together with Him and are one spirit now with the Lord. That positional oneness is necessary for us to have functional oneness. In other words, for us to be able to function together as one with God. So let's again review a few of these things. Fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. To function as one. And when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created you, spirit with a soul in a body, before sin entered into the picture, spirit, soul, and body, Adam's spirit, soul, and body functioned as one. Seamlessly. So much so that he didn't realize he had a body or that he was naked until he sinned. He was a spirit. He had a soul. He lived in a body. When Adam sinned, it brought chaos to the triune man and put the spirit and the body at odds with one another, with our mind, emotions, and will, our soul caught in between those two. That's why the scriptures teach that if you set your mind on the things of the spirit, you'll follow after the things of the spirit and you'll fulfill the desires of the spirit. But if you set your mind on the things of the flesh, you will follow after the things of the flesh and fulfill the lust of the flesh. So fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. Marriage between a man and a woman makes them one and provides the basis for them to function as one. It's not automatic. If you've ever been married, you know that. Amen? But the covenant, the marriage covenant entered into before God makes a man and a woman positionally one in the eyes of God so that they can then learn to live functionally as one together. The other example we see in Scripture, two key examples in Scriptures of, of oneness and, and, the, and the ultimate oneness that God desires to have with His people. The first one is marriage between a man and a woman. And the second one is the uh, many members in one body. Many members in one body. And so we see that many different members joined together in one physical body enable the body to function as one. Positionally, they're all positioned. And we have a lot of scriptures on this. We'll get into this in, in, the, in the weeks ahead. But, you know, just the hand has, you know, four fingers and a thumb, a palm, a wrist. And, and each one of these are an individual member, but they function together as, as one hand that's connected to one arm, that's connected to one body. And this is a physical example, a physical illustration of the body of Christ. 
And each one of us are an individual member of just one body. Amen. There's just one body of Christ. Come on now. Somebody say amen to this. There's just one body of Christ. There's just one church. If you listen to Keith Moore speak very often, you know, he, he, he tries to debunk this mindset of the early church. You know. He goes, the same church we're part of, just one church, one body of Christ, one church, which is his body. And, and, we're, and we're members of it individually, all members of that one body. And so many different members join together in one body. So the Bible says that when a man or woman gets born again, that, that we are set in the body. We're, we're, the Holy Spirit sets us in the body. And then when each person offers their supply, their supply, meaning the, the unique gifts and talents and abilities and callings and resources that you have, it's when you offer that to the body and to the ministry of the body of Christ in the earth that you are knit together. It's like the ligaments that, that join a knee joint together or, or, or what have you. So it's one thing for the, for the arm or the bone to be set. It's another thing for it to be knitted together with the rest of the body. And the, and the setting is the Holy Spirit's positioning you. Are you seeing this? He positions you in the body. But then... In order for you to function as a member of the body of Christ, it's when you deliberately, intentionally offer your supply to the body and to the overall ministry of Jesus in the earth that knits you into the body. Now, we also see that Jesus functioned as one with his Father while here upon the earth. We know that he was one with his Father, but he is our example of functional oneness. He was positionally one with God. And then he functioned as a man on this earth as one with his father. John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and my father are one. I and my father are one. And because he was one with his father, this position of oneness enabled him to function in oneness. And we see this in John chapter 5, verse 30. The first part of that verse, Jesus says, I can of my own self do nothing. So positional oneness with God is an inward reality of the new birth. I know I'm going over some things that we covered two weeks ago, but I just, I really feel, and one of the things that Brother Donald said last week, that I, that I, I feel you, my brother. He's like, it's like, when you get this, there's more joy over it. You, you, when, when you really begin to connect with the truth of this, not just in an intellectual sense, but understanding it by faith and embracing it by faith, it, it stirs something deep, deep within you, that whole deep calling out to deep thing, um, because the, the depths of God longs for fellowship with his children, and he hardwired us um, to, to never be satisfied for anything less than or short of that fellowship with him. So positional oneness with God is an inward reality of the new birth. Functional oneness with God is an outward expression of that inward reality. Now, I know we're using some words, and I'm kind of going fast here on this review part, but we have, you know, come to understand some things that have made a major difference in our, in our lives, and, and one of the key things that we've come to understand is that who we be determines what we do. A lot of people in the body of Christ today have doing and being reversed. In other words, they think that what they do determines who they are, who they be. But doing doesn't determine being. 
Being determines doing. Being determines doing. And as long as you're confused about that, you'll constantly uh, you know, try to, to do things to become something God's already made you. So when we talk about the positional oneness, God made us one with Himself by His grace. We sang about His grace being enough tonight. He did this not because we earned it or deserved it or have attended enough church services or given enough money or, or you know, been good enough long enough where God finally says, okay, I'll give up. Come on, you can be... No, no. He positioned us as one with Himself through the new birth because of the extreme price that Jesus paid to make that possible. Remember, He didn't just do it for your sake. He did it for His Father's sake. He's, he's cleansed you of your sin and your iniquities and remembers them no more for His sake, for His name's sake. So positional oneness makes functional oneness possible. I know this may sound a little silly. He, he didn't make you one with Himself just to prove that He could do it. It's not, it's, it's not just about the position. It's about you and I functioning. Are you understand what I'm saying? I, I, I hope it doesn't make you uncomfortable when I talk about mine and Pam's marriage. But again, this is, this is an example. Um, we're coming up on our 36th anniversary this coming Monday. And 36 years ago, a covenant made us positionally one with one another. But for the last 36 years, we've been learning how to function as one with one another. The positional oneness made the functional oneness possible. And some of what Brother Donald's been talking about as it relates to fellowship is, is that a lot of people are just interested in social engagement or, or some type of relationship where there's a commonality between, you know, a, a common interest in sports or a common interest in some hobby. And those things are not necessarily wrong or sinful, but what he said last Wednesday night is it makes it very easy for you just to pull away from that. You know, if, it, if it's no longer, you know, doing anything for you, then you just move on, right? But see, oneness is about a marriage. Oneness is, is about a covenant relationship. Fellowship is about oneness. Amen. And this, we're talking about something now on a, on a whole different level, on a, on a whole other level. And so Father... All this that we see in Scripture, and, and we've, we've covered some verses about this, but the Bible has a whole lot more to say about this, both specifically, you know, directly, and as well as implicitly, okay? But this idea that, that Father just made us positionally one with Him so that we could have the position, and, and that's it, is wrong. It, the position is necessary for the function, I know that some people, you know, may see it another way, but I use this same example and this same concept as it relates to Jesus came to do two things for you. He came to take away your sin, and he came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Greatest prophet born of a woman, John the Baptist, he, he uttered those words of Jesus, right? Take away your sin, not cover it up, take it away, never be held against you, remove it from you forever. And he came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And if you look at how Satan has tried to divide the one body of Christ in the earth, most of the divisions fall along differences of opinions as to what taking away sins mean and being baptized in the Holy Spirit mean. Right? And you got all kinds of different beliefs about that, and you got all kinds of people that have factioned themselves off into separate you know, de denominations and what have you, all based upon 
differences of opinion as to what that really means. Take away the sin, baptize in the Holy Spirit. Well, the Word of God is very plain and very specific about what it means and what those things are all about. And it's in com- complete with examples. <laughs> are you following me? Of, of, of what it looks like for someone to have their sins taken away and to be made a new creation in Christ Jesus and what it looks like when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit. So make no mistake, make no mistake about it. God is not confused. As Brother Jesse Duplantis says, you have to try hard to mess this up. I mean, it's, it's that straightforward and that simple. Okay? But here is what I believe. As important as our salvation is, salvation, salvation is not a, an end to itself. It is a means to the end of our being filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, let me say it another way. Unless you become a new creation, you are not a candidate to be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflow it. So it's, it's not that, you know, we're going to take one and ignore the other or somehow one is more important. I'm not saying that salvation isn't important. Obviously, it is the most important thing. But it's not the only thing that Father God desires to do in your life. He had to make us new creations. He had to make us temples of God so that he could then put his spirit in his people. So in the same way, positional oneness, as important as positional oneness is... Positional oneness is not the end, it is, it is the means to the greater end, which is functional oneness, right? It, it would be like somebody getting married just so they could, you know, be married, you know, call themselves married, but have no interest in a life together, have no interest in, in learning to function, if you will, together, all right, now... And there are a lot of people that are doing that, right? There are a lot of people who are trying in our world today, they're trying to function as one, but have skipped the covenant before God and, um, and you know, come before God for him to make them one. So positional oneness, I said all that to just make this simple point. Positional oneness makes functional oneness possible. You can't have functional oneness without positional oneness. But just because you have positional oneness, right, that doesn't make functional oneness automatic. It's something you have to work at in a marriage, something you have to work at in a, in a family of faith, in a fellowship of believers. Amen? That's why the Bible tells us to, to um, not just look out after our own interests, but the interests of others, to prefer others before ourselves. All of these things are grist for the fellowship meal. Amen. Now, John chapter 8, verse 36, it says... Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free indeed means free in your performed action. So if you're born again, you are positionally free from sin. If you've been born again, you are just as free from sin as Jesus is free from sin. Which gives you the wherewithal, it puts you in a position then to be free indeed. In other words to function as someone who is free from sin. Why did Father God go to all the trouble and expense to make you positionally free from sin? So you could then function in life free from sin. So we could say it this way, free indeed means functionally free. If the Son makes you free, positionally free, you shall be functionally free from sin. Are you picking up what I'm putting down tonight? You're seeing this, okay? So the same thing would be true of righteousness. Right? He became he who knew no sin was made my sin and your sin 
so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we've been made righteous, not just so that we can walk around and tell people that we are, but so that we can now function as the righteousness of God in the earth, in real life, real time. Now, thank them, thank, well, let's do one last thing. Let's, amen. I got a lot that I want to say tonight. We're going to slow down. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, you should be familiar with this, this passage uh, enough. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's, it's glorious. It's a, it's a prayer that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to pray over the churches. And we see that this was something that he prayed constantly. Uh, he said, I cease not to make mention of you in my prayers. And the thing that he prayed for the people that he served the most was that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so that they would know what is the hope of his calling, so that they would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, God's inheritance in them. And then verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power, God's power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. Okay? So he's seated Jesus, he's positioned Jesus far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. Now, There's a lot that we could look at here. Again, I'm just trying to focus in on a few verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. So obviously, right after chapter 1, we find chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, what has He done? He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we see where God the Father has positioned Jesus. But because we are in Christ Jesus, if we had kept going there in Ephesians 1, it says that God the Father has given Jesus to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now He says, once that's established... And as important as that is for us to know and understand, he then wants you to understand that you have now been seated. Seated is another word for positioned. You've been seated, positioned together with Jesus. Where is Jesus positioned? He is positioned far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named both in this age and the age it is to come. Okay? That's where Jesus is positioned. See, you can preach that in just about any church that I know of and folks will amen you, Okay? But where folks start getting really nervous is when you start trying to explain to them that you've been seated together with Jesus in those same heavenly places, right? So that you could function effectively over principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that's named, both in this age and age it is to come. You've been positioned there in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that you could function here on the earth in that authority, 
Positional, functional. Positional, functional. This is why, this is why Jesus explained to Nicodemus when he's asking, Nicodemus is asking about Jesus and the miracles and he knows God, ha- God has to be with him or no man can do the miracles that, that Jesus does unless God is with him. But Nicodemus is scratching his head because he can't figure out is Jesus a prophet? Is, you know, what's up? You know, he, he's, he's wanting some answers. And Jesus explains to him about being born again and what, he's, what Nicodemus is, is experiencing is, is the kingdom and the wind blows, and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, but you see the trees moving. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Then he says to Nicodemus, he says, No one has gone uh, up but the Son of Man who came down, that is the one who is in heaven. Jesus was standing right there talking to Nicodemus. But see, Jesus understood that although he was here on earth as a man, he was positioned in the heavenly places with his Father, one with his father who was in heaven. And this is why he says, I can't do anything of myself because it was his position of fellowship with the father and his oneness with the father that enabled him to function. Sometimes when I look for words, I'm, I'm going to say this word, okay? But we need a, we need a bigger word than this. This ain't, this ain't enough, but it's, it's, it's going to get us there, okay? Jesus functioned then as an extension of the Father. Capital E, extension of the Father. I mean, this, all glory due to his name. Amen. He functioned as an extension of the Father. How was he able to function as an extension of the Father? Because he was positioned in the Father. He, me and my Father are one. I say this all the time. Words have meaning. Words mean stuff, right? And Satan tries really hard Satan tries really hard to water down important words. We've, we've covered a lot of that. Matter of fact, that's been a theme since all the way back in 2022 on Wednesday nights, especially restoring precision to some things that, that, that we've let slip. And so one classic example of this is I'm hoping and praying. You don't find hoping and praying in the scriptures. You find pray and believe. Amen. And so... You know, words mean thing. And so <clears throat> I think oneness is one of those words that we just kind of throw around haphazardly without ever really considering what it actually means. Now, let's go. All right. So the, the, we're going to dig into these examples in, in greater detail because the Bible's got some important things to say about it. But if you consider positional oneness and functional oneness in light of marriage between a man and a woman, the marriage covenant enables God to create the positional oneness, make two individuals one, but positional oneness, positional oneness only makes functional oneness possible. It doesn't guarantee it. It does not guarantee it. And God desires the functional oneness of marriage and the fruit it produces to be a living example of what He desires to experience with every human being. So if you've been born again, you are the bride and body of Christ and thereby have positional oneness with God. Now, praise the name of Jesus. Let's, um, I'm just going to stay with the order that I felt impressed to put these in. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. 
Now, verses 1 and 2 are where we're instructed to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's our reasonable service. It's, 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 a, it's, the, it's the baseline of worship that we're to offer to God. And then we're instructed to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. One of the things that Brother Donald brought out last week is that conformity takes place from the outside in. Transformation takes place from the inside out. Amen. Greater is he who's in us, amen, than he who is in the world. Verse 3, he says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. That word soberly there, a lot of times we, we think you know, soberly is like not being intoxicated, but the root word of that, that word soberly there is the same root word for salvation. So he's, he's literally saying to think in terms of our salvation. In other words, who we became the day we became a new creation in Christ, as opposed to thinking like the person we were, we've got to learn to think in agreement with the person that we've now become in Christ. He says, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So there we go, right? He's not just talking about the members of the body. He's talking about how those members function. And the, and the imagery here is not that of a statue, not that of a drawing, you know, on, on a, a one-dimensional paper, but the, the actual members of a physical body all coming together to, um, you know, saw a piece of wood or, you know, to produce some result, how they're many different members, but they function together as one to produce these things. So for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now that, that, next, that last phrase right there, individually members of one another, so there's a lot of folks who love the idea of being a member of the body of Christ and somehow being connected to Him. But you realize that there is no being connected to Him, Jesus, without also being connected to everyone else who is connected to Him. Amen? This is why the Apostle John, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John explains, listen, if, if all you can talk about is how much you love Jesus, you don't have love for any body else who's been born of Jesus there, you're a liar and the truth's not in you you know my thumb is really really important on my right hand I'm right handed and, and as far as the hand goes the fingers are such an important part and, and the thumb is you know the, the opposable thumb as they say um, I mean, you know it, if you're going to get an MVP on the right hand you're going to probably have to give it to the thumb but how useful would my thumb be if it didn't care anything about any of the other members of my body, especially its you know, four close associates there, right? But all it was interested in was my head. Oh, I'm just Jesus, I'm just Jesus. I ain't got no time for anybody else. Just Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus. 
I'm going to just walk around with my thumb stuck to my head all day. I mean, I, see, there's no function in that. There's no function in that. Now, my thumb receives signals from my brain. All this is, again, imagery that God has established. He's established these things. And, and you know, the central nervous system and everything that my brain controls as far as my thumb and the life that's in it is concerned and its mobility and functionality and all these other things, it's all controlled by the head. But if all my thumb is interested in is, is my head, see, this is, this is, this is not functional. So it's very important that we understand we, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. He reiterates this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ. If you read it tomorrow, it's going to say now. If you read it six months from today, it's going to say now 6,000 years from today. If you're born again now, present tense, you are the body of Christ and members of individually i like that verse this verse in the amplified now you collectively are christ's body and individually you are members of it each part severally and distinct each with his own place and function there's that word again your own place and function praise god now Let's do this. We're about out of time. Amen. Let me, I want to, I want to just introduce a few things here because what we see in Scripture is that the two key places we learn about fellowship and oneness, again, are body, the physical body as it relates to the body of Christ, and marriage. Okay? Now, I'm also aware that not every person in here is, is married or, or um, old enough to be married or, or, or what have you. But even if, even if you're not married or aren't yet old enough to be married, there are things I think that you can understand and relate to that will help you with all this. And one of the things that we see in Scripture, and so I know this from Scripture, and I know this from experience of having been married now, for um, longer years than I was not married before Pam and I were married. And that is a healthy marriage requires a oneness mindset. And a oneness mindset is much more than a relationship mindset. A oneness mindset is much more than a relationship mindset. As we've said already, it's one thing for a man and woman to be made one by God. It's another thing altogether for that man and woman to think of themselves as one and to treat one another as one. See, that's where the functional oneness comes in. Now, we'll look a little bit here at this in the time we have remaining. Ephesians 5, 28, 29, and 30. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Do you, do you see the oneness there? Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and His bones. 
So in the same way that entering into a marriage covenant before God creates a spiritual union of oneness, we see this in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, what God has joined together, let no man separate. In that same way, in that same way we see in 1 Corinthians 6 and 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So in the same way, but I want to make sure you understand this, marriage is the reflection with marriage being the reflection and oneness with God being the original pattern. In other words, he's, he's, he's not saying that, the, that being one with God is like marriage. He's saying marriage is like being one with God. We, we see in the book of Hebrews where the, the tabernacle and all these things that, that they were earthly representations of a heavenly reality in other words when it came time for Moses to build all of that I'm speaking to you as a man you know God sent the angel over there and said measure that wall what's how he knew I'm just being silly what's that wall okay it's that long Moses make that wall that long in other words it he told him to build it exactly as the original one in heaven so it would be silly to say that the tabernacle in heaven was a reflection of the one on earth. No, the original, right? The original, and then we have an earthly reflection of it. Now, I think key to this is where he says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So I want to give you, and we may not have time for all these stuff. I'm just going to give you a couple of these, and, and then we'll, we'll call it an evening. When, we, when we're talking about a oneness mindset, fellowship requires a oneness mindset. A relationship mindset will prevent you from experiencing and enjoying the benefits of fellowship. The benefits of fellowshipping with God, the benefits of fellowshipping with other members of the body of Christ, being equally yoked together with Him, and, and, and the same is true in, in the marriage uh, covenant that a relationship mindset is... Because is, you've got more, you have more... Remember when I told you um, somebody never seen, didn't, didn't understand who Pam was to me, and they go, who, who's that lady over there? Oh, she's somebody I'm in a relationship with. That's, that, that's not honoring to her. She is so much more than somebody I'm in a relationship with. Now, <clears throat> no husband with any sense would ever say something like that in front of his wife. Guys, that was a good spot for you to say amen, right? Okay. Call her your old lady. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, right? Talking about respect, right? So there's, there are a lot of, in other words, people may never say, oh, that's somebody I'm in a relationship with, but the mindset they have towards their spouse is somebody they're in a relationship with. Fellowship requires a oneness mindset. A relationship mindset maintains individual ownership and views sharing as the highest virtue in that relationship. That's relationship. In, in relationship, right, I've got mine, you've got yours, and then whatever we share 
whatever we have in common, we, we may call ours. Okay? So a relationship mindset maintains individual ownership and views sharing as the highest virtue in that relationship. But a oneness mindset dissolves individual ownership and all things, including the assets and the liabilities, belong mutually. Belong mutually. A relationship mindset sees things and makes decisions based upon three distinct categories. Mine, yours, and ours. A oneness mindset sees things and makes decisions based upon one category. Ours. A oneness mindset says what was once mine is now ours. See, you th- well, I thought you were going to say what's mine is now yours and what's yours is No, no, see, that, that's that almost, right? What's mine is yours and what's yours is mine may sound good but still doesn't meet the standard of fellowship. A fellowship mindset sees only ours. Can you handle this if I give it to you tonight? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Now, before you get all ruffled up about some stuff, he's trying to explain to you something even more important and more powerful than marriage, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. I say, say, See, this is oneness. This is oneness. Well, you know, I, I got to be me. I'm, I'm, I, no, no, see, amen. Let, can you take this from the marriage translation, verse 4? Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. The passion translation, neither the husband nor the wife have exclusive rights to their own bodies. But those rights are to be surrendered to the other. A personal relationship mindset deceives us into a sharing approach. A relationship mindset says, I'm going to share my life with this person. A oneness mindset says, I'm giving my life to, and if necessary, for this person. Jesus did not share his life with you. He gave his life for you and then gave his life to you. Jesus then gave you a seat with him in the heavenly places, made you a co-heir together with him, gave you his identity, his name, his right standing, his glory, his authority, and his eternal life. Amen. Stand with me tonight. You'll never function in oneness Maintaining your own life, identity, rights, and resources. And how foolish are we? How foolish are we to hold on to our stuff, want to maintain control over our little bit, when the God and Creator of heaven and earth is offering to you and me everything that he has in exchange for everything that you have. Man. Man.
personal relationship mindset views your life, your identity, your rights, and your resources as something you maintain control over and choose to share, sacrifice, or concede whenever you determine it to be in your best interest. A personal relationship mindset keeps score. I'll tell you something that will revolutionize your marriage, whether you're in one right now or whether you're going to be one day. Destroy the scoreboard. Quit keeping score. You say, Pastor Mark, that's just... No, no, the Bible says it. The Bible says it. Keeps no record of wrongs done to it, love. A fellowship mindset doesn't keep score. Either we win or we lose. It is impossible for Pam to win and me lose. If she wins, I win. And if she loses, I lose. Never, ever, ever is there a situation where I win and she loses. Or she loses and I win. Or vice versa. You understand what I'm saying? That's a oneness mindset. If it's bothering her, it's bothering me. And and please spare the ladies, men, this platitude. Happy wife, happy life. That's so childish. That's so childish. Makes it sound like, you know, got to cater to her, got to do what she wants. No, no, see, again, that's, that's a relationship mindset saying that. A nourished wife, a cherished wife, right? That's, Father, you're good to us. Talk about these things for the next two hours, Lord. I thank you for what you're showing us. I thank you for what you're helping us see and understand. And yes, Lord, there's benefit here for us in our marriages and, and in, our, in our other um, fellowship connections that we have. But Father, help us learn from these earthly things what you're trying to teach us about heavenly things. Father, the way you see it, there's no you winning and us losing. If it affects us negatively, it touches your heart. It affects you negatively. You're connected to us. You're one with us. It's impossible for us to win and you not be glorified, Father. You celebrate those victories and rejoice and sing and celebrate, Father. When your children come home, And when your children function in oneness with you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for believing the best about us. Thank you for never giving up on us. Father, show us where we've let a relationship mindset replace a oneness fellowship mindset. Lord, not just as as it's what we share with you, but what we have with you. But, Lord, what we have with others in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Good things coming. I'll see you Sunday, if not before.